This is One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are. It's Tuesday, and we're flipping the page. We're turning to the playoffs, which we'll get into in just a second. We want to provide, uh, obviously, constant updates on Tamar Hamlin's condition. So right after we get off the air yesterday, the UC Medical Center has a video conference, press conference, with the same two doctors that have been that were taking the lead on Tamar Hamlin's care at the UC Medical Center in Cincinnati, Dr. Knight, Dr. Pritz. And we're like, okay, great. We're going to get an update on Tamar's condition, see how things are going. They come on. Damar has been discharged. He's back in Buffalo. Damar's not a, here. Under a medical care team in <laughs> Buffalo. Things are looking great. Lung function's awesome. You know, we were a little concerned about the flight, but everything's fine. Uh, I'm he's, sitting there going, what? He what? took a, he took a stroll today. He's walking around the wing of the uh, hospital now. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're all thrilled, but I was just like, <laughs> when the hell did that happen? Well, that is he's, the best. He's in Buffalo already. He's I was like, holy crow. Like what, what? 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 I mean, it's great news, but I was totally shocked. That's awesome. I I don't know that I didn't. I just took it for granted. Um, you know, he didn't fly commercial, right? Well, no, so, but I think uh, that, that's awesome. Yeah. But oh, by the way, he's not here. I mean, I oh, thought what? I thought the most likely news was he's going to be discharged today. Like that was like yeah. the extent of it. That's the that's that. Yeah, you thought that would be. Like, like best case scenario. Exactly. We're going to discharge him today. Like, at you? the very most, we're going to hear he's getting discharged later today. Like right. that's what right. we're going to get, right. and in it's great. Or it's going to be a day or two. And we'll love in it. a day or two, he's going to be able to be home. Da da da. No. No. <laughs> he's <like>. discharged. <laughs> he already flew on a plane. He's in Buffalo. I, I couldn't believe it. That's awesome. Um, and I think the most important thing, as far as it impacts the team and the organization and his teammates and the coaches is this, and Coach McDermott said it. He said yesterday, it means more that DeMar is back in Buffalo with us. There is no longer that separation. What did right. Tredavious White say after the game can't on Sunday? I can't wait to hug the expletive out of him. Right. Uh, these guys, while all the good news and seeing him on video conference you know, waving to him, saying, love you, boys, is important and has value. Nothing is going to beat them literally getting their arms around him. Right. Don't squeeze him too tight, okay? The guy's still recovering. Um, right. Getting their arms around him, being next to him. Talk to him. Talking to him face-to-face. That is going to go a whole lot further than what they had to go on last week. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think that more I think that equips them more to play this Sunday against the Dolphins than anything they got last week. Right. Like he's in town. I, I think they can actually say to themselves, All right, this guy just flew on a plane to come back to Buffalo. Yeah, he's still under a watchful eye, but he's good. Like he's yeah, good. Yeah, like they can convince right. themselves of that Absolutely. now, I think. Yeah, well they don't have to take somebody's word for it. You know? Right. Um, they just go see him. And I'm sure that you know, obviously, there's a short list of uh, allowable things that DeMar can do still. Um, having his teammates come visit him is probably one of the things that's on the list that's okay oh, yeah. right now. So, yeah, that's awesome. You can bet a 
ton of guys probably went to see it, see him. Um, awesome news, awesome news, and and, and I. That was all. It wasn't, you know, it's not on the same plane, but it's like the kickoff return going for a touchdown. It's like, what? You got to go to what? Yeah, that's going to happen. He, he's in, no, not only he's not doing, he's not just doing better. He's in Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? We were watching it on, on the screen. I was like, what did they just say? He's in Buffalo. When that was did amazing. That, happen? that was awesome. That yeah. was really awesome. And I hate to say it, but, and the, the doctors that we all love, I was like, oh, turn those guys off. Turn those guys off. <laughs> I don't need to hear any more. We need to, you know, I wanted to see, you know, where is he? Right? So, awesome news. That was awesome. That, but that, they buried the lead right there, right? I mean, that. Yeah. Or actually just the opposite of the lead. They gave us the lead and we didn't need to listen to them anymore. You know, they, they went from, you know, UC, the place where we were, we couldn't take our eyes off it to, you know, elsewhere. Where else, our attention just went elsewhere right, right away. It was, it's amazing. Um, but thanks to the all the thanks so much, man, to the city of Cincinnati and UC Medical Center, all those great. doctors, first class all the way. Oh my gosh, what what a testament to themselves, their city, um, their professionalism. It was just great. Uh, it was really added something. The way they handled it just added something human to the whole ordeal. And it was I got to you to tip your hat to the whole the, from start to finish. Everybody who was involved at every level in every, in both cities and both organizations, just awesome. Yeah, it was just great. awesome. Uh, the coaching carousel has begun to spin in the NFL, and the Bills, members of the Bills organization, are being requested for interviews. We told you yesterday that there are reports out there that the Tennessee Titans, who need a new general manager, have requested permission to speak to Senior Director of Pro Personnel Malik Boyd of the Bills. The Carolina Panthers, meanwhile, have reportedly requested to interview Bills Offensive Coordinator Ken Dorsey for their head coaching position. So, obviously, there are connections there between Dorsey and the Panthers. He previously worked for them on their coaching staff as quarterback's coach and there is a connection in the front office with the Bills. Dan Morgan is there. Uh, he took a promotional job there after leaving here. I think he's the assistant GM. I forgot to look it up right before we came on the air, but I believe he's the assistant GM in Carolina. So there are ties there. There is a familiarity there. The Panthers, by the way, have also requested to interview Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka for their head coaching position. So it appears as though Carolina is going to beat the bushes for some offensive-minded head coaching candidates. And to no one's surprise, they're looking for someone who's got some chops either, A, under Brian Dayball, because both Mike Kafka and Ken Dorsey worked under Brian Dayball, use those offensive systems. Clearly, whoever is making the decisions there in Carolina likes that offensive system in terms of putting up points. Right. So those guys are the early requests for interviews. Meanwhile, Denver is interviewing every defensive-minded coach under the sun. D'Amico Ryans was requested. Dan Quinn was requested. The Cowboys, D.C. And there was one other uh, defensive coordinator that was requested, and they have one in-house as well, Edgerow Evero. 
Detroit uh, was one of them. From the holdover staff. Ben Johnson, the offensive yeah, coordinator in Detroit, was requested right. for an interview. Uh, was it by Denver? I think it was by I think Carolina. it might be by Carolina, Carolina as well. Yeah. Carolina's got a longer – They're going all offense. They've got the longest list of head coaches right now. And it goes – like, they're all on uh, – Jim Caldwell's on it. Frank Reich's on it. Uh, yeah, and all, the, and all the hot coordinators in the league are on it. You know, all the guys – both uh, – the guy from Detroit's on it. The guy from L.A. The Rams is on it. So, yeah, they've got – they're starting to – Move and move fast. Broncos also conducted a virtual interview Monday with University of Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. Um, Dan Quinn, D'Amico Ryans, Raheem Morris was who I was thinking of, the Rams defensive coordinator. He's also been requested. um, And they believe that Harbaugh and Sean Payton could be in the mix Dan Quinn is high up in the Broncos, I think. Yeah, he's one of the guys that they requested, yeah. yes. And D'Amico Ryans, the Niners, D.C., who's got yeah. the best defense in football right now. Yeah. Um, so names are going to continue to fly around. Shane, uh, Eagles offensive coordinator Shane, I don't know how you say it. Oh, Steichen. Steichen. Yeah. Uh, Mike Kafka, of you, you mentioned Steve Wilkes, the Panthers interim head coach, is also on Who did a nice job. I mean, nice not job. for nothing. Carolina looked like a wayward team right. when they fired Matt Rule. And Wilkes takes over. They go six and six down the stretch, and threw Baker Mayfield overboard. Right. I mean, right? <laughs> he went six and six with Sam Darnold and PJ Walker. <laughs> That's pretty good. And you want to know why? Because they were running the tar out of the ball and doing it really well without McCaffrey. Yeah, uh, traded away McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Did it without McCaffrey. The Cleveland Browns are looking for a um, defensive coordinator. Sean Desai, Brian Flores, uh, lately of uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Gerard Mayo, Patriots, uh, linebackers coach. Uh, those are all requested by the Browns to be their new defensive coordinator. Uh, and you said it. Uh, Sean Payton is also the former Saints head coach is on the Denver list for – has requested an interview with him. Dan Quinn, as I mentioned. Um, there's – yeah, it's – they're busy. The general manager horse race is also really interesting – uh, for the Tennessee Titans, and of course, also we just found out yesterday that it was going to be the Arizona Cardinals were going to be in that general manager race as well. Uh, they're they're asked they're talking. The Arizona Cardinals are talking to a guy, uh, these guys: Ian Cunningham, who's the Bears' assistant general manager; Quentin Harris, a Cardinals vice president of player personnel; Monty Osenfort, Titans director of player personnel; and Adrian Wilson, Cardinals VP of pro personnel. And all these guys are people none of us see on TV and. You'd have to be a local media guy to know who these yeah. guys are, but it's much like, you know, Joe Shane. You know, not a lot of people outside Buffalo had his name on the tip of their tongue, and that's, right. you know, now he's in the playoffs with the Giants and, and Dayball. Meanwhile, in Chicago, Bears GM Ryan Poles, who just finished his first year as Bears GM, holds the number one pick in the draft this year. Uh, they eked out. Um, the Texans for the top pick in the draft after the Texans won last week. And here's the thing. (laughs) Ryan Poles, the speculation is, is he going to draft a quarterback first overall, or are they going to ride with Justin Fields, who made some progress as a quarterback, but mainly as a running threat. He didn't really expand the passing game 
for the Bears, but he ran for 1,000 yards and only played like 14 games. Uh, so the, the looming question in Chicago is, is this the guy they're going forward with, or are they going to draft another one first overall? So Ryan Pohl's answer today at his end-of-season press conference is as follows. Justin Fields is our plan as the starter for next season. I have to be absolutely blown away to take a quarterback number one overall. Right. Now, that's not saying he can't be. Um, but I think that lays and, out the parameters that it's and l- it, it's more than likely it's Fields as the starter next or, year. Or he's posturing. Or he's posturing. To set the kid up already to have high expectations and say, wow, okay, this guy must be pretty good before they ever see who the yeah. kid is. It could be posturing, and he may be saying, listen, Fields is nice. That's a nice little guy, but he can't throw the football well enough for us. We're going to get a kid that can play and have two guys on their rookie contracts. I would not take Bryce Young over Justin Fields. Oh, absolutely not. I'm not. I haven't seen enough of Will Levis to make a decision on that as to whether I would tease another quarterback who's considered to go high in the draft this year. I would not take – I don't know if – I got to see more of him to know whether I would consider taking him – over Justin Fields, obviously the advantage you would have if you draft a quarterback is now you've got a potential starter on a rookie deal and you can fill out other parts of your roster. So, Fields you know, is on a rookie deal too. Right, but this is year three coming up. Right, but you don't have to make a call on him. He can st- you no. let him go and let this kid. Which I think is why. You can let the kid, the number one pick, gestate, you know. Uh, okay, I see what you're saying. You got two, they're not costing you anything. You can build the rest of your roster, finally get an offensive line maybe. Well, yeah, first pick in the draft doesn't cost you nothing. And these days, those contracts are fully guaranteed. It was, yeah. So, still, we'll have to see where it goes. It's going to be an interesting offseason in Chicago for sure because uh, they're chock full of draft picks after trading Roquan Smith, trading Robert Quinn, you know, and now they have the first pick in the draft to boot. Gets, hey, gets hey if, they, if they want to ride with Fields, they don't, they're not crazy about any of the quarterbacks. Trade out of that top spot for somebody who wants a quarterback. And get, like, two or three first-round picks. Or at least two in the first, one in the second. You know, that kind of deal. you got the first pick in the draft. you got some major, major draft capital there. Right. Very interesting to see what Chicago does under the new leadership of Ryan Poles. Uh, still watching and waiting to see what Sean McVay does with the L.A. Rams. Is he coming back next year? Is he not? He's, uh, he'll be out there, so we don't know. Uh, McVay, incidentally has lost his offensive coordinator. Liam Cohen is going to Kentucky to apparently be their new head coach. So if he does come back, he'll need a new OC. That's interesting, and I don't know if anybody's been following this. I'm sure some people have about the Sean McVay saga in with the L.A. Rams. He's 36, and he's already won a Super Bowl, and he's got a stack of cash, and he, there's – Wide speculation. He's calling it quits. Yeah. Uh, he he's was gonna, hedging last year, remember? He's going to step away. He was hedging last year. And and I, and I saw an interesting point today on, on social that think about these two guys. One's 36, who has won a Super Bowl, achieved the pinnacle of his career in one of the largest markets in the country, with, you know, just did it. Now, good for him. And you've got a 70-plus-year-old guy in New England who's going to stick around and try and cobble together a lackluster roster and rebuild at 70. 
That's the difference between a, a young guy who's coaching to give himself a life and, a, and an old guy who's coaching because it's all he knows. And I don't know what, and I don't know Bill Belichick or Sean Payton, you know, and they don't know me. Whether, who knows? There's two guys with a different life philosophy. Well, yeah, and, and Sean McVay just got married last year, too. So that kind of changes the dynamic. That can change the dynamic also. So. And, you know, so Belichick's a 70-plus-year-old guy whose life, life's work is coaching, who is not going to give it up. And here's a 36-year-old guy who's already done anything, won a, won a world championship, been to two Super Bowls, won one of them, and it's like going, you know, I'm young, just got married. You know, maybe do something else for a minute. You know, yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong, but I'll tell you what, that's two ends of the spectrum. And I've said it a ton, and it's still the truth. It's as true today as it was when I said it before, however true it was. Coaching is not a job or a career. It is a lifestyle. And if you want to do something else, you got to get out of it. You can't, like, well, maybe I'll just be a coordinator. No. You can, maybe I'll just be a high school coach. Mm-mm. Maybe I'll coach Pop Warner. Mm-mm. Once you step into that, man, these, the way these guys are operated and the way they're wired, you're in it. That's it. Neck deep. You're not doing anything else. So to have a guy like Sean McVay out in L.A. who's already done it, and now they're, and now the, they're paying the piper for, all the, for the way that they won the Super Bowl last year, they're like going, this is going to be a while before we can build out, you know, climb out of this hole. I'm mean, just going to do something else for a minute. You know, I don't want, that's, you know, that's a lot of work for, for very small chance of success. Why am I going to bang my head against the wall? And then you got the other guy in New England who's been to 10 of them and once still hungry for, what, number 11. Yeah. And just can't, you know, going to stick around wants, and rebuild it from the ground up. He wants to pass Shula. That's I what, get it. That's what he wants to of do. Of course All he time does. wins. Sure he does. He's, he's, he's a ways away. He's in, yeah, it's probably another couple of years, right? Three. Maybe four with where his team's at right, right. now. Right. Uh, yeah, he'll make it. In th- he's 20. Well, I don't know. I've got to look it up. But he's 24 behind, maybe 34. And they finished 8-9 and nine this year. And he's got to get to 347, right? Shula's got 347 career wins as a head coach in the NFL. And he's got right. three he's, something. He's got three eight. Uh, he's got three, 298. Oh, he hasn't even hit three yet? He's 298. So he is hmm. 30 wins behind. That's yeah. three years. That, it's probably more with at where he's at. 10 his wins each. At. It's got to be. He's not and winning he, 10 and he's, games each of the next three years. And he's 71. Yeah. <clears throat> that's whatever I, yeah, you know. in my world I hope he doesn't even get there not that I like Shula that much either but whatever well, um, yeah. I, yeah, you know how I feel about Shula he's, in probably he's the worst championship game ever the Georgia Bulldogs run roughshod <laughs> over TCU 65-7 to I mean I was concerned that Georgia was going to run away from them, you know, second half or something. This game was over before you even got to halftime. It was over at the coin flip, bro. Wow. It was, uh, it, was a, heart. it was a beatdown, a bulldog beatdown. Um, and, you know, 
the guy that is going to be the first Georgia Bulldog off the board in the draft in the spring has officially declared for the NFL draft. Defensive tackle Jalen Carter, number 88 in your program, has officially declared for the 2023 NFL draft, and that boy is a stud and a half. He's ridiculous. That's the kid that I showed you that picked up the LSU quarterback with one arm Did while fending off a defender or an offensive lineman to sack the, the guy. One in one yeah. He's got the quarterback under his arm <laughs> holding up a number one on a sack. Like it, It's like one of the great photos of all time. It's awesome. He's, he's just different. He really is. He's a stud among studs. I mean, they got nothing but five stars there. And he stands out. He could pull a Laramie Tunsil and be a top ten pick. Right. You know? I, I think he go I think he's top five. I think yeah. he's off unless a couple of quarterbacks come out of the woodwork late in the pre draft process to push people down. He's top five. He'll yeah. be top five. He's quarterbacks that good. there's always a couple extra quarterbacks in the mix, which will do it. But yeah, that's the only thing that I think teams, could push him down. Teams, the guys aren't on their radar now, and teams will talk themselves into a Josh Allen type scenario. And, you know, yeah. So, but yeah, I think the guy's a top five. There are some guys in that Georgia team last night. On that, I, I granted, you can say what you want about TCU, and, and, but man, oh man, there were some dominant performances last night on the defensive line of Georgia. And there was more than one. Well, they the Herb Street, Herb Street, the the commentator was saying, "Look, you get so you get this guy who's this unbelievable guy. They rotate him out. The next guy is the same guy." Yeah, they got so Jalen Carter, I think, is a true junior, so he's declaring for the draft. He's leaving. The guy that lines up, the guy that lined up next to him last year, was Jordan Davis, who's three hundred and sixty pounds and was a first round pick. The guy that lined up next to him was Quay Walker who was a first-round pick of the Packers, yeah. and the guy that lined up on the other side of him also went in the first round, uh, or went in the first pick overall, Trayvon Walker. So, like, and then t- last night, you got Jalen Carter at defensive tackle right next to him is a true freshman who looks just like him. Bear Alexander is his name, and he looks like a grizzly. And he... he 99. He played as good as anybody out there. Yeah. He was all over the place. Yep. Yeah. And he's like 320. And they got an incoming kid who's as big as Jordan Davis is now in the NFL at 360. They have a guy that's just as big as him. He's on the incoming freshman class. Here's the thing. He's 17. It's not going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Where did they find these kids? They're, it's like, they're, they're space aliens. These are mutant right. children. So they. How long is it going to be before every guy on the field, including the wide receivers, are going to be. 280 pounds plus, all 6'5 plus. They're all going to be – every guy on the team, on the field, is going to be running a 4'4", 4'5", 40, and they're all going to weigh 285 pounds. They're all going to be 6'5". Every position – they're all going to look the same size on TV. Yeah. It's, it's, it's working towards that way. They're getting – they are getting ridiculously athletic, ridiculously big, and – because the game is such is so entrenched in our society that the kids are starting to play like flag football at five and six years old. They're coming out polished. 
like they're polished with technique and concepts. It's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, we're headed there. Every guy on the field is going to be 6'5", and they're all going to be like 250-plus pounds. The skill positions will be 250. And then the at, the guys down inside will all be 350. That's ridiculous. That's like... You have no that's idea. That's like Ted Washington running a 4'7". I told... Yes. <laughs> yes. Just think about how ridiculous that yes. sounds. <laughs> That's where we are 20 years later. Sal will tell you this too, Sal Capaccio. And I've done, you're on the sidelines and you're, you're standing in the right spot just by coincidence because you never know where the play is going to go. And you get guys that tumble out of bounds in front of you and they're, they're high intensity plays, you know, right there on the side, on the sticks. Yeah. Or, or if you get lucky and it's a long play and even, even the DBs and the yeah. athletes, linebackers come tumbling out of bounds, you can feel the ground move. You can feel the ground vibrate. Oh, yeah. They come out of there and it, and you swear. Somebody's really hurt bad. Somebody's going to get out of there with a busted leg, at least with the intensity and the speed and the power that they come swooshing off that sideline. And they hop up like nothing, like they were just – they tied their shoe and they got up. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That's why yeah. this game – that's why football at the college level, that, that championship game and certainly the NFL and every week and every game, you've got guys out there that are so big and so fast – it, you can't not watch. It is a car wreck every play. Yeah. It is unbelievable. Even in the game nowadays where they say, ah, this NFL's soft. It's all that. It ain't softer. It may be a lot smarter the way they handle their players so mm-hmm. they can play a week to week, but <laughs> it ain't soft. No. It is not soft. To put a uh, bow on the Georgia discussion. Oh, my gosh. Guys. I can't remember if they have the number one recruiting class this year, but they're in the top two or three if they didn't. And then there's this, Steve. Georgia returns 75% of their current roster, and they also landed the two top wide receivers from the transfer portal for 2023. (laughs) I mean, Kirby Smart has figured out how to corner the recruiting market and the transfer market at the same time. Well... Because in college, it's all about the players. Like, it's oh, all yeah. about the talent. That's, yeah. You over can, scheme. You can out-athleticize your opponent. Because the hashes are wider, and you, you can, can run get to the far side speed, of the field. Ki- speed kills, yeah. and that's, you know, and you can get, you can just be faster. That's, it's always been that way. And last night in the pregame, I know you saw some of this, too. Uh, Deion Sanders was on the panel, and, of course, Nick Saban was there as the most unhappy panelist of all time because he wasn't playing in the game. <laughs> You don't think that guy's over there going like just – I mean, it is a – that's why college coaches don't always transfer well into the NFL. It's rare. Harbaugh did it. John, uh, Jim Harbaugh did it pretty well, no question. Um, got the San Francisco 49ers of the Super Bowl. He's a good coach. You know, that kind of thing. But Nick Saban, he was like, I'm out of here. This is – you know, the Miami Dolphins stuff. He was like, are you kidding me? It is all about recruiting. That is their full-time job. Yeah. They've got a coaching staff that handles the football X's and O's, but, man, those head coaches are billboards for the program. They are salesmen for the program to 17-, 18-year-old kids and their families. Their entire operation is centered around recruiting, finding the best players, the biggest athletes, and getting them to come to their school. That's it. 
at, and that's that's where you win and lose. Yep. And last night was a perfect example. Georgia crushed TCU with with a five eleven. 180-pound quarterback who – nice arm, live arm, but, man, oh, man, he's just getting getting rid of it, man. He's just throwing it to people that can do s- stupid things out there. And and ain't nobody touching him. Yeah. I mean, goodness gracious. It's an it's a recruiting thing. That's why the NFL is different. That, and when a team wins in the national title game by 58, 65-7, bro. When you win by 58, that's going to land you a few extra guys. They want to they be in that game. Yeah. Because that last night I noticed this and I thought it to myself. That national championship game last night was a lot like a Super Bowl. It was in SoFi. The, it was in SoFi. The crowd was nuts. The pageantry, the pregame stuff, the lead-in with the, the long pregame, yep. you know, the, the, all of that stuff. And I'm yeah, sure it played that, out like a Super Bowl I'm pre-game. sure that they, the kids were there, the teams. I don't know. I don't know. I would imagine they were there at least through this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, I know they're student-athletes. From what I heard, one of the sponsors flew students to the game because, obviously, Georgia's coming from across the country. TCU right. kids coming from Fort Worth. Right. They flew hundreds of kids to the game. Sponsors did. Bless on the sponsors' heart. dollars. Good for them. You know, I mean, it was it because they big. want that atmosphere. Yeah, they want the atmosphere. And it was there, too. It was all live. And it, it was it was great. So that so you're right. When you beat a team 65, seven. It's not only a, a billboard for your program, it's a billboard for your school. People are like, yeah, OK. When they become fans, they're like, yeah, I like listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that team. That's my team now. That's why we were. That's why my son was sweating on getting admitted because after they won the national title last year, my son's, you know, he did early action and everything to try to get into Georgia. Like that was his number thousand applicants. It was his number one choice. And the admissions office, after the fact, we found out they got 10,000 more applications yeah. than they usually do yeah. because they won the national title. They right. got, that's just students wanting to go there. And listen, think about players, recruits. Students doing it, and listen, the students don't get scholarshiped. That's yep. ten thousand people who are willing to pay to go <laughs> to Georgia. Yeah, that's that's you're talking bottom line stuff. Yep, they're going sweet. Before we go to break, uh, we do want to let you know what our Twitter topic of the day is. As we flip the page to the wild card playoff game between the Bills and Dolphins, it is as follows: What aspect of the Bills? do you believe needs a little fine tuning for the playoffs? Something that you need, that you believe needs a little refinement going into the postseason to really have the Bills humming in all three phases. You can let us know at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. The number to get on board there. We have an open line for you. There's also some breaking news in the league, which we'll discuss a little bit more when we come back. The Ravens have agreed in principle with all-pro linebacker Roquan Smith with whom they traded to acquire from Chicago at the trade deadline. He is now the highest-paid player at his position in NFL history. Five years, $100 million, $45 million fully guaranteed, $60 million in total guarantees. He is the first off-the-ball linebacker to get $20 million per year. Roquan Smith represented himself like somebody else on the Baltimore roster, who has not signed an extension yet. His name 
is Lamar Jackson. He's a franchise tag candidate now, as far as I'm concerned. And then, on top of that, let's not forget who the Bills have to somehow try to re-sign this offseason. You better believe the Roquan Smith contract is going to be used as a measuring stick for the Tremaine Edmonds camp. We'll take a break here. Be back with your phone calls as we're asking you, what aspect of the Bills do you think needs a little fine-tuning for the postseason? 803-0550, the number to get on board. Steve Tasker, Chris Brown, back in a moment here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. That's aggressive. Uh, our MSG viewers are watching an SUV get absolutely destroyed by two front-end loaders, courtesy of Niagara Metals, which is a proud partner of the Buffalo Bills. I Billy Buffalo hanging out at the junkyard, destroying vehicles I with didn't names know, of opponents. I didn't know front-end loaders could do that. Neither did I. Man, oh, man. That, that didn't take very long, that, did it? They didn't, they didn't even, like, One hesitate. didn't even move. The yeah, other was they, just shoving it into the— Oh, my gosh. Okay. That was pretty that, impressive. That, that's one I, to grow on. There. I got to tell you too, it looked fun. I want to. <laughs> do you do remember? Do you remember the old smash up derbies they used to have on television? Demolition, Demolition derbies. Was that on Wide World of Sports or where was? Uh, that? Yes, they probably on Wide World of Sports. They had one once in a while. They all. It was crazy. Yeah. Back then, what was it about the late seventies, early eighties? Like destruction was so popular. Like smash up derbies, school buses jumping over ramps and doing stuff. Evil Knievel. Yeah, that was like the whole thing. It was crazy. The People Daredevil, were jumping over stuff all the time. The Daredevil era was good, and that kind of go coincided with the cars because they always have these junk cars. They could line up so the guy oh, yeah. could jump. Interesting phenomenon, which you don't see it that much anymore. Um, the last great one were the guys trying to jump over rivers in the rocket car. Oh and yeah, Evil yeah. did that, and, and there was another guy who tried to jump over. Lake in a Lincoln <laughs> didn't make it, but yeah, the, that was an era, bygone era. With we, the, we didn't have the, enough in the budget for the physicists to tell us if it could actually happen. Yeah, bro, that was one of the all-time great fails. Uh, it really was. It was. I just can't believe how, like every week or every month, there seemed to be somebody trying to jump something. Um, I don't know, and like it just all of a sudden, it, like as soon as it showed up on the scene, it was so popular, it was gone. It was like a supernova. Yeah, and then it was not on TV. Yeah, maybe it's, I think we've jumped enough things. Was, the network executives like, yeah, we're we're good. Maybe it was we're you good. and me. I don't think there's anything left to jump. Yeah, maybe. It, well, here's the thing, and I don't know anything about anything, but here's my here's my conjecture. No, oh, okay. Let me put my tinfoil hat on. Um, here's what happened: the networks started seeing this stuff, and it started getting upscale, upscale, upscale. And the guys who were doing it were getting rich, even if they failed. Yeah. Because of the run-up and the promotion and all that stuff. Sponsors. The network started thinking, you know, we go any further, somebody's going to, like, not make it. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be an and epic fail. And that's not good television. And that is not good television. Yeah. So let's not do that yeah. anymore. So you I imagine, think that's one of the Imagine things. the insurance waivers on those things. Woo-wee. Yeah. Um, uh, we do have an update on Damar Hamlin. He's just tweeted about a minute ago, and he tweets as follows. Not home quite just yet. Still doing and passing a bunch of tests. 
Special thank you to Buffalo General Hospital. It's been nothing but love since my arrival. Keep me in y'all prayers, please. Hashtag three strong. So uh, DeMar keeping us updated via his social media. Keep him coming, DeMar. Keep telling us the tests you're passing. Let us know when you're home. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. We are discussing on today's show, though, what aspect of the Bills do you believe needs a little fine-tuning to feel good about it for the playoffs? 803-0550, the number to get on board. And today, we lead off with Billy in Cheektowaga. What do you got for us, Billy? You're on One Bills Live. How you doing? Yeah, I got a quick question. I was, I've was i heard the rumors about Micah Hyde coming back. I was wondering if you guys had uh, could touch a little bit on uh, what the status is of him. Um, yeah. I saw that a little bit on social, too. I, I'd be surprised. Yeah, me too. Um, there's, the doctors are sitting on him saying it's not a smart idea until after you've gone through a certain amount of time since the surgery. And certainly it was week two, so it's been a few months. But he, when I have talked to him after the fact, he has said he feels great and would love to, but the doctors are saying absolutely no way this season. We had him on set here. I think it was two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. Right. And we asked him about that on the air. And he essentially said, the doctors told me going into the surgery that coming out I'm going to feel great, and I do. But the rule of thumb is no contact for six months right. after surgery. Right. Surgery was in late September, October, November, December, January. You get to the end of February, that's only five months. Yeah. And he, t- he said it. He, he said, said, the I- doctors told me up front they were going to have to protect me from me. Right. And they're doing that right now. Right. So unless, and he didn't say this was possible, I'm just saying, unless the doctors have some sort of tests, you know, MRIs, whatever, that they can say, that's changed or that's different than the six-month window we said, there's no way they're going to let him play. Absolutely no no way. And knowing what we know about the Bills and how they have handled other ramp-ups like Tredavious White, like Mitch Morris, like you go down like Jamison Crowder, all these guys that have been injured are coming back. They do it step by small step by small step by small step. So even if Micah Hyde got cleared, they would not. He's not going to be out there until he goes through small step, small step, small step, small step, and by that time, the season's over. Yeah. So my our logic, I would be absolutely shocked if any news like that comes out about Mike. I saw the same stuff on social, yeah. and I'm like, uh, I think it's no, more, it's something else. I think it's more fans hoping that could happen right. than knowing it's possible. I, you know, because we, everything that Mike has told us, the timetable just doesn't line up for that to happen. They tend, and I'll say this too, I mean, kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's really true. Brownie and I are about a million miles away from what's going on on the other side of the wall. Yeah, they because And for right reason, you can see, they don't want to tell us stuff that they don't want us to talk about. So they don't tell us. Yeah. And they we're, they treat us like outside media almost sometimes. Um, so if they do that, I, well, I'll be shocked. Yeah. Even, yeah, so we'll be as surprised as everybody else. Let's go back to the phones, and we go to Brian in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Brian? How are you doing, guys? And first, I'd like to say let's, let's pray for uh, DeMar and John Murphy. Thanks. And I would like to say, uh, I think we need a little bit of help in uh, pass protection on the offensive line and on the defensive line and linebackers to stop that run. But we don't know if what he calls playing because I guess he broke his thumb. Raheem Mostert, you know, yeah. play. 
So that, and if I just hang up and like to hear your answer. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Brian. Um, I'm with you, Brian. I, as, a, as a guy who's little and played in this sport, to me it's all about the big, big guys. It's your run front and your pass pro and run, run, run game. And it all starts up front on both sides of the ball. We've seen, and I think we've, it has been demonstrated this year, that the upscale and the upgraded defensive tackle play this year has had ripple effects across the board for the defense. Not in the run defense. You can, there are certain exceptions. You know, even this last Miami game where they gave up a buck 88. Their run defense has been really good this year, and, and that has really allowed Milano and Edmonds to blossom. I mean, they have they are killing it this year because yeah. they don't have anybody getting out to them. Both those guys had 100 tackles this year. So I would agree with you. The guys up front, the front six, and then the seven, if you, if you count uh, Taron Johnson, those guys are – those guys need to show up and show up big all the way across the whole rotation, all eight defensive linemen and the linebackers that are in there, which really never change, Edmonds and Milano. So I agree with you. And as far as pass pro – Absolutely, because – thought it was better last week for the most part. They gave up a couple of sacks. Yeah. But and I'll say this too, the game that they played against the, the Patriots, the Patriots rushed four a lot. They did bring pressure some, but I think they're really worried, and maybe, that, maybe it's a trend, about Allen breaking out of the pocket. The Patriots were very good against the Bills this last week. In condensing, in condensing the pocket, the pocket and not of trying let, to collapse it. Josh didn't didn't his scrambles were a non-factor this last week. Uh, and to me, they were a non-factor. Now yeah. I'm not saying they were I think totally he only ran for 17 yards. Right, he had nine rushes for 17, 16 yards, yeah. nine rushes and a long of seven. That's something I think the Patriots did very well against the and Bills we'll this last week. Probably try to do going forward, and the Dolphins will try and emulate. Because the Dolphins have trouble getting home, too, unless they send extra people. Well, They have all season. Jalen Phillips is playing really well. That guy's an yes, athlete. That guy is a, a, a problem. Six-foot-five guy that runs And like so's the guy down inside, Christian Wilkins. Yes. So they've got a defensive front that gives the Bills problems. So I would agree with you. I think it starts up front on both sides of the ball for the Bills' success against the Dolphins this week. Break time for us here, but more of your phone calls when we come back. What aspect of the Bills do you think needs a little fine-tuning for the postseason? You let us know. Open lines for you at 803-0550. Steve and I back in a second here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Bills Mafia, the first edition of the Buffalo Bills comic cover series is now on sale. Products include posters, sweaters, and shirts. You can purchase these items exclusively at any Buffalo, Rochester, and Syracuse Wegmans. Wegmans, the official tailgating headquarters of the Buffalo Bills. They sent a couple of these into us just to give people an idea on what we're looking at. That's pretty cool. Like, Very nice. I like that T-shirt. It's pretty nice. Look yeah. at that. Pretty, pretty sweet. These guys are like coming out of the shirt. It's like a 3D effect there. I think, the, I think the younger Bills fans tend to gravitate towards those. I saw a couple of kids uh, ripping them off the rack <laughs> at a Wegmans the other day, and their mom is like, we can't get three of them. Just pick one. So, <laughs> What, are they going to share the shirt? Is that what? Well, no, like I think one kid had like four things under his arm, and oh, it's just like, you. buddy, you're not you. going home with a T-shirt, a sweatshirt, a hat, and a poster. Like, right. pick one, and we'll talk about the others at another time. Kids. Wait for your birthday. Yeah, right. <laughs> Something like right. that. Exactly. Uh, 
803-0550, the number to get on board as we are discussing what aspect of the Bills do you think needs a little fine-tuning for the playoffs? Let's go back to the phones, and we go to Doc in Williamsville. What do you got for us, Doc? Well, first of all, uh, praise the Lord, uh, prayers answered, and uh, God is good. Uh, something I've noticed all season long with our play calling, we start out deep in our own territory, missing in the run in the pass. We matriculate down the field, we get into the red zone, and it's pass, pass, pass. And we haven't been very successful. So I would like to see a little run mixed into that red zone would open up the passing game. You're dealing with less real estate, so it's easier to cover receivers. And I'll leave, let you guys discuss it. Okay. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate the input there. I'll, I'll also say this. You're right. There is less space to throw the football. There's also less space to run the ball. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it's harder to run down there, too. Statistically, and I'm, I'll see if I can red zone offense, um, the Bills – yeah, um, red zone. The Bills are ranked. They were in the top ten as of ninth last week. overall, sixty percent. Yeah. Um, so they're not bad, but I get this too. And I'll say this: the Bills are a little different animal than it, than most other teams. One is every time they take a snap, they're a threat to run the football, and that also goes for the red zone because of Josh. Um, the ball is, is instead of handing it off and say it's only it's only a run, you know, uh, the Bills are always on the docket and it's always on the menu for Josh to put the thing under his arm and take off. So that is their run threat in the red zone. And I'll say this as well, and I agree with you, Doc. Run pass, run pass down the field, and you get into the red zone, and all of a sudden you know, they throw it a little too much or a little more than you would like. Uh, that's the reason. The threat of the run game is is big down there. And their ability to do it is is known. So I think because of Josh's ability to throw it hard and get it in, I think they they like to throw it a little more than they than they run it. Um, I can't speak to Ken Dorsey's philosophy down there, but I think one of the things that makes the Bills a little different in the red zone for defenses to look at is the fact that whenever they snap the ball, think run with that quarterback back there. So that may give them the leeway to throw it a little more than you'd like. Let's go to Mike in Amherst next. Mike, what do you got for us? You're on One Bills Live. Mike, are you there? Hi, guys. Hey. Hi, I'm here. Go Thank ahead. you, guys. Yeah, um, sure. Happy Bills Victory Tuesday. Life is good in Buffalo when the Bills are good. So um, one thing I wanted to say, and I'll just ask you a question when I'm done, is I think we need to improve more on our situational football both um, coaching and execution because if you look back the last year year and a half really our biggest Achilles heel in my opinion has been blundering situational moments to steal a game Um, and when I look back to the Patriots game with around three minutes left I was confused why Dorsey chose to throw the ball on second and third down and not make them burn their timeouts you know you go up against Mahomes or Burrow and you give those guys three minutes and two timeouts, that's an eternity for them. I don't care if you're up two scores or not. So I was just wondering why you guys think we didn't run it there. And I think we need to improve a little bit on the cleanup, the special teams aspect, how we had the fumble. And, you know, to me, it looks like Hines for five seconds wasn't going near the ball. And Steve, maybe you can answer that. How does that happen with a 
with the blunders like that? Is it just uh, more me, a one-off? Yeah, I'll tell you what, Mike, that's a good question. To me, that was a blunder on Taiwan Jones being that close to the football. you got to get away from it. It, it absolutely was a, was a mistake um, to let that ball be near enough to that ball to let it hit you. Because you know Hines is yelling Hines, poison, right? Hines has got to be yelling whatever word they have. It used to be poison in a lot of cases. They call it poison because that's what it is. If you touch it, you die. And that's what happened. You've got to have an awareness to get somebody, to get those guys to know they got to stay away from it. And Patriots guy, Matt Slater, who's as smart as all of them, he knew it and manipulated Taiwan into being in the wrong spot and pushed him into it, and, and he got hit. And you lose the ball. It's a huge mistake that you can't do on special teams. Um, and situationally, if you, go, if you go back and look at a lot of the signature losses that the Bills have taken, and there haven't been that many of them, you can point to situations that you said that were the problem. 13 seconds is an obvious example. You know, Do you kick it deep or you don't let them kick it? That's a mistake, a detail that you need to get right. Uh, do you, you – do you let them have a 25-yard play on first down when they've got three timeouts left? Do you play that soft on a, with that team uh, in that situation? Then you go back further. The Hale-Murray, miss, their misplay of that play leads to a, a loss. The missed, all they had to do was do a quarterback sneak for no gain. They can't execute it. They lose to the Minnesota Vikings. A fourth and 18 against the Minnesota Vikings. All you got to do is get the incomplete pass on a duck from – Kirk Cousins, you can't make that play, it's over. In the first Miami game, Isaiah McKenzie hits a slant across the middle. All he has to do is put his foot in the ground, go forward five yards, spot, go down, spot the ball, and you've got time to, to, get it, to get it spotted, spike it, and kick the field goal. None of those things happen, and those are all lead to losses because you couldn't execute or weren't prepared mentally to make the right play. Yes, that – but – Having said all that, that's the only way these teams lose in games these days. Yeah. That's the only thing that beats them is, is them not executing in a situation like that. Other than that, they ain't nobody beating them. When they don't turn it over, when they're on it, they, you can't get out ahead of them and leave them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of the only avenue left for teams to beat this club. They're, they lost – Three games this year by a total of eight points. And while your point is well taken about why are the Bills throwing the ball there and not forcing New England to burn their timeouts at the end, I, I agree. Maybe you run it once or twice there to try to chew up some clock instead of firing it out and stopping the clock on an incomplete pass or even on a completion that goes out of bounds. Um I know you're saying if you do that against the Chiefs, you're going to get killed because that's an eternity for them on the clock. But at the same time, you're going to have to remain aggressive against teams like the Chiefs as well. And right. that might require you to right. still throw the football. You keep your there is the a risk-reward there right. that you're going to have to navigate. And you cannot. And we, the Bills learned their lesson in 2020 when they went a little conservative against the Chiefs in the AFC title game kicking a field goal at the end of the first half on the two-yard line instead of going for it. And in the end, they lose by 18. The next year, they're more aggressive, should have won the game and didn't. We all know why. I think the aggressive end of the spectrum is where the Bills are going to have to live if, in fact, they get that far to play a team like next week, potentially the Cincinnati Bengals, and the week after that, the Kansas City Chiefs. So that, that tact, I get what you're saying, 
But against those kinds of teams, you may have to stay that aggressive in those situations anyway. Break time for us. Steve and I back in hour number two with our good friend, national NFL writer from OutKick.com, Armando Salguero. He's coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Here we are in hour number two. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, One Bills Live is the show. And here on a Tuesday, pleased to welcome in the senior national NFL writer for Outkick.com. It is one Armando Salguero joining us to talk a little Bills Dolphins as he still uh, resides for the most part in South Florida when he's not crisscrossing the country to cover NFL stories. He was in Buffalo here this past week for obvious reasons. How are we doing, Armando? No, I'm doing great, gentlemen. And and by the way, I I, I got to share with folks. A couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was also in Buffalo for the Dolphins and the Bills. And I'm leaving the press box, and I put on this my coat, and I start to argue with the coat because I couldn't get it on. And Chris just looks at me like, Dude, what are you like? This rookie never put on a coat before. He was struggling. <laughs> I was struggling. I didn't know what to do. So I guess, but since then I have figured out coats. Yeah. Well, and that was a wise move because as you remember at the end of that game, it was snowing sideways on the way out to the parking lot afterwards. Yep. That is. It was kind of a harrowing drive back to my hotel in Amherst after that, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah, what did you think? You know, that game was much different than the game they played in week three. The Dolphins ran the ball all over the place in that game, ended up losing it, and the weather didn't come down till late. What do you think this game is going to look like in comparison to the first two? Because they, the first two were pretty different in their, in their outcomes and in the way they were played. Well, my guess is the Dolphins, uh, and as we sit here right now, we don't know who the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins is going to be. Tua Tungavailoa is still in the concussion protocol. Teddy Bridgewater uh, was available last week, didn't play against the New York Jets. He's recovering from a dislocated finger in his throwing hand. So they had Skylar Thompson. My guess is that it will not be Skylar Thompson for the Dolphins. It'll either be Bridgewater or Tua. And if it's one of those, or regardless really of who it is, the Dolphins, what they're going to try to do is run the ball again because it's the safest thing you can do. It's, It's something that Mike McDaniel is good at, you know, scheming up, and they had some success at it. And conversely, the Buffalo Bills, they're pretty smart, you know, so they're going to decide we're not going to get beat by that, and you're going to have to find something else to attack us with. One of their running backs, I think Jeff Wilson didn't play in the last game. Now Raheem Mostert's 
availabilities in question with the busted thumb. I mean, I suppose you could play with a broken thumb. Just don't put the ball in that hand. So switching, you know, on a run to the outside, you can't maybe put it in your outside hand with the bad thumb. I guess he could play with it in that respect. Catching the ball might be a different story. What are you what are you hearing with respect to his likelihood of suiting up? Yeah, I'm not uh, the the Dolphins are not too uh, forthcoming. Uh, I wouldn't say enthusiastic. There, it's it's doubtful that Raheem Mostert will be able to play. If he does, then you know obviously they'll feel better about their chances. But you know, ball security is a big deal, especially in in the cold, and um, it's a it's a rough ask. It's tough. Yeah, I would agree. And it comes down to there There will be elements. It's going to be cold. There's no doubt about it. How wet it will be will have a lot to, to say about this. But if the, if the Dolphins come into this and Teddy Bridgewater is back there uh, with a – and I don't know if – is his you said his finger's dislocated, not broken, but dislocated. Yeah, dislocated. So if that's the case, it's probably – it's better than having it broken, no question about it. I've had both. Um they will. They're going to have to throw this football to win this game as well. I mean, certainly if they lean on their run game, I get it. But sooner or later, they're going to get into a third and medium or third and plus. Um, how has Teddy been in those situations this year? And I know it's a limited sample size. Yeah, well, let's address the limited sample size first because he's he's started a couple of games – where Tua Tunga-Vailoa was out because of the concussion and couldn't finish the games, either one of them. Uh, he started after the Cincinnati game against the New York Jets, and after one play, uh, he was out of the game because the independent neurologist from the NFL decided that he had stumbled and removed him from the game for to be in concussion protocol. And then uh, this last uh, two weeks ago, he couldn't finish a game because, again, he he suffered the the dislocation. So job one is if you're Teddy Bridgewater and you're the Miami Dolphins, you need your backup to finish what he starts because that's the reason he's there. You, it, it, It's a worst-case scenario to begin with because your starting quarterback isn't playing, but it's really terrible if your starting quarterback's backup can't finish a game and so uh because now you're on number three and number three is a rookie seventh round draft pick Skylar Thompson so that's the biggest uh, concern about Teddy Bridgewater is durability at this point and that brings to mind the quarterback's protection which has also been compromised for Miami in recent weeks due to the lack of availability of their offensive tackles they've been starting backups for the most part. What is the word on Teron Armstead? Will he be, does he have a chance to be back in the lineup this week after missing some time? They're hopeful. The word is, ah, <laughs> we better, <laughs> ah. <laughs> that's the word out of the <clears throat> Dolphins because uh, look, clearly the, the bills are not the threat to the quarterback that they were when Von Miller was available to them. He's no longer available to them, as you know, but they, they have weapons uh, up front that are concerning. And uh, folks forget that 
the whole Tua Tungavailoa concussion path began with a hit on Tua by Matt Milano in the first game. And it hasn't been really right since. And so the Bills getting to the Dolphins quarterback, you know, not a surprise. Huge problem. Better if their Pro Bowl left tackle plays. But this is a team that has been dealing with a rough situation on the front uh, of their offensive line the entire season, really. Yeah, and they, they, Brandon Shell is listed as the starter at right tackle, and behind him is the, the newly signed or freshly signed uh, Eric Fisher, who was formerly the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, he got released. Uh, is, that, is he released? Or is he on IR? He's on IR, which means yeah. he's not playing. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. So they have and, Kendall Lamb and Greg Little. Little started last week oof. for Armstead. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty thin. Yeah, you got to remember Austin Jackson yeah. was supposed to be their starting right tackle this year and, and you know, obviously hasn't been of late. Uh, Liam Eichenberg, who was drafted to play, there is Liam, who was drafted to play uh, right tackle or left tackle, has played neither. Yeah, he's a guard. Uh, yeah. So he's a guard now. So it, it's it's a mishmash up there, and it tells you that that scheme that Mike McDaniel has put together, the fact that they've been able to to move along and at least be in the playoffs, it says something about the scheme overcoming uh, a lack of certain talent up front. Right. What, what can you say, Armando, about the current state of the Dolphins' defense? There was a stretch there. They were giving up a lot of points. Now, I know in the New England game, there was a defensive touchdown in that final total of 23 given up in an uncharacteristic loss. And then, you know, last week, you know, you got Joe Flacco. So, okay, great. You, you know, you hold them, the Jets to six points, all well and good. But what, where, where are they as a unit going into the postseason? Do they feel like they've got some T's to cross and some I's to dot here? And if so, where? Yeah, Chris, I mean, they, they shut down a Super Bowl winning quarterback, dude. I mean, you're, 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 you're <laughs> Joe poo-pooing Flacco. Joe Flacco. You're, you're making Joe Flacco like into a schlub. Yeah, sorry. Which he kind of is now, but, you know, <laughs> looking at it from the Dolphins' point of view, they, they did play well against the Jets. The Jets do have offensive talent. Um, I would say to you that uh, the defense is, is, is better when Xavier Howard is playing at his height and is playing motivated. And that was the case last week. It hasn't always been the case. This defense is better or is very good when both Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips are on their game. For most of the last six, seven weeks, Bradley Chubb has not been on his game. It's been Jalen Phillips. Um, so if those things, if they can bring those things to bear on Sunday, they, they'll feel pretty good about their chances. You got to remember, these two teams have played two games already, and the total point differential of those two games in which they split is two points. So 
uh, you know, that can be spun a whole lot of ways. But one obvious way to spin it is the Dolphins feel like they have a, a very. Yeah, okay. Let's talk about this. The last time the Bills played them here in Week 15, the Bills were four or five TDs in the red zone. Um, and you get into this situational football, and we kind of get into the weeds a little bit with X's and O's and who's available and not. And um, we've even had callers today saying, you know, the Bills kind of forget to run the football when they get down close. Um, but with Josh Allen taking snaps, that thread is always there of him just tucking it and running. Give us a little situational football insight. This is a, a defense that really thrives up front, I think. I think Jalen Phillips has really played well, and so has Christian Wilkins. Uh, and then if Chubb, you know, when he uh, – certainly it's spotty. But when he does show up, man, they're a force. Uh, and that seems to me to be where their best chance lies. You're absolutely right. Um, the red zone the last game was a mess for the Dolphins. Um, and – you're absolutely right. The Bills are able to, you know, James Cook, by the way, from South Florida, uh, has has come on. And I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't tell you that he hasn't been a, a significant, significant reason why things have gotten better. Because that competition between him and Motor, uh, that <laughs> that benefits the entire team as it does the two players. And if that's benefiting the Bills, it's to the detriment of the opponent. This week, the Miami Dolphins. So running the ball in the red zone, huge. Josh Allen running the ball in the red zone, huge. Um, let's go back to that game. You remember just before halftime, eight seconds to play, and... You got one play or you kick a field goal from, from the red zone. And Josh Allen ran out the clock and did the improbable, which was, oh, he threw a touchdown pass with 0-0 on the clock. You know, stuff like that, a, a team that is coming into Orchard Park this week looks at that and goes, guys, um, if we can just prevent crazy stuff like that happening, we win. Right. It's hard to stop that, though, sometimes because that guy's a freakazoid. Um, last one I got for you, Armando, concerns special teams. I realize the big reason why the Dolphins are last in the league in kick coverage is because they gave a long one up to Devin Duvernay way back earlier in the season, and getting that average back down is difficult. But even after Naheem Hines took two back against New England last week for a total of 197 yards, Miami is still ranked last in the league in kick coverage, and New England's only 27th. Are they going to kick to Hines, you think? If they're stupid. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, look, so the Patriots decided uh, we're not going to do that, and they kicked one out of bounds yeah. and you know gave the Bills the ball on the 40, and then they kicked one to him again, and he took it to the house again. So you're you're doomed if you do. You're doomed if you don't. Um, I would say to you that the Dolphins special teams are going to undergo significant, significant change this offseason for the reasons that you outlined. Obviously, that's not going to happen yet this week. 
But after this week, things are going to be addressed. All right. Last one for me, Armando. Five NFL head coach openings. Any insights as to what's going to happen? And even up here, uh, if the if the outcome of the Jet Dolphin game was different last week, is the Miami job open? The only way the Miami job would have been open is if Sean Payton had called Stephen Ross again and they'd had a conversation and Sean Payton would have signaled that he would like to be the coach of the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, that's not in the cards at this point. The, you know, Mike McDaniel goes to the playoffs in his first year. And although that is not new this year, we've got five head coaches, first year head coaches who are in the playoffs this year, which is amazing if you ask me. But uh, at this stage, I, I don't believe that it, it matters anymore. It's a moot conversation with, with the Dolphins, at least. Uh, the other places... Look, yesterday I talked to some NFL people and the Houston Texans are getting ripped left and right for ripping, you know, for firing their head coach two years in a row after only one season. And someone, you know, went to great lengths to remind me the Houston Texans in the next couple of years have four first round draft picks. Next year, they have three um, third round draft picks in 2024. They have two fourth round draft picks and they've got a ton of cap space the next couple of years. They're not as, as off putting to some coach candidates as what the narrative would have you believe. That's going to be a place where there's a lot of resources come to bear in the next few years. And Trust me, they'll be able to find someone who wants to manage that. Yeah, right. Certainly a lot of draft capital is always attractive as well as a lot of cap space. Armando, we look forward to seeing you up here this weekend. Thanks for the time. We'll catch up with you in a few days. Travel safe. Thank you. All right. That's senior NFL writer for Outkick.com, Armando Salguero, joining us, talking a little Bill's Dolphins. We'll take a break here. Be back with some more of your phone calls. And your tweets next on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Ah, oh, snap! Snapdragon apples are now available. Fuel your game day adventures with Snapdragon apples now available at Wegmans. Snapdragon Apple's the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. Let's get back to the phones at 803-0550, the number to get on board. What aspect of the Bills do you believe just needs a little fine-tuning heading into the playoffs? And leading us off in this segment is Kevin in Hamburg. Kevin, what do you got for us? You're on one Bills Hey, guys, live. how you doing? Um, I, I know you're talking about the Bills game. I want to ask you a college question, if you don't mind, because you're talking about the national championship team, if that's okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure, go ahead. Um, Stetson Bennett's coming out, because they asked him last night, how do you feel about your last game in Georgia career, which means he's probably coming out, otherwise they wouldn't say that. And there's a lot of teams out there that need a good quarterback, but take, for example, the Saints or the Falcons. They didn't stink bad enough 
to be up there to get, get the Georgia or the Buckeye dude that everyone wants, Stroud. The Bama dude will probably go to the Texans. And the Levitz guy from Kentucky, I don't know where he'll go. Um, what do you think about Stetson Bennett? He looked pretty good, not just because he killed TCU. What do, you, what do you think about your knowledge of football, uh, your opinion of him? Yeah, I, I think the thing that's working against him, Kevin. I'm going to hang up and let you talk. Yeah, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I think the thing that's working against him, Kevin, is while, as Steve pointed out, he, he's got a live arm, uh, physically, I think you worry about the durability factor. He's barely 190 pounds. He's five foot 11. And so durability is a concern, just as it is with Bryce Young, who's even smaller than him. So he's a little taller, but he's lighter, uh, slight framed Bryce Young. So durability is going to be the knock on those guys, and that's going to knock you down the draft board a little bit, especially when you consider the fact when Tua Tagovailoa came out in the draft, people had the same concerns about him. Now, he went fifth overall, and the Dolphins have a problem with availability because he's not durable. And with him very much in the public eye in the NFL circles this year because of what happened with all the concussions, I have to believe that that's going to cross the minds of a lot of GMs, even if they are quarterback needy. That's kind of a long way of me saying, I don't know if Stetson Bennett's taken on day one or day two. To me, he's probably a day three guy. Yeah. Um, and Bryce Young, while I have a, I told you this, we were talking about this all morning. I have a problem taking quarterbacks who didn't have to fight uphill. Um, now, it's not their fault. You got a guy like Stroud at Ohio State, you got Bryce Young at Alabama, and you've got Stetson Bennett at Georgia. Those guys always played with the best offensive linemen, the best defensive linemen, the most talented wideouts, the best running game, the most resources for their program. I mean, the list goes on and on. They, I mean, and, you know, you can say what you want about playing, you know, tough competition, okay, but they were always better physically than the guys they played, or at least as good. And I don't see any of those, not a, not a single one of them, as being a guy that could come to this level and carry a franchise physically or with their will or with their abilities. Certainly they can come in and be a good player, no question about it. I just don't think they have the physical attributes to be able to carry an offense in the NFL um, with what is expected of a quarterback in this day and age. You've got to be a guy who can bust out of the pocket, get a first down, get, be an athlete. And I know these guys are 20 years old. I mean, you see Stetson Bennett doing that. And with the protections afforded an NFL quarterback, okay. I I just don't see it. Um, to me, a, an NFL quarterback looks more like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, or and Aaron Rodgers too, because those guys are bigger than you might give them credit. They're significantly bigger than the guys we're talking about. Um, it's a tough league, and even Pat Mahomes is significantly bigger. Yep. So, yeah, I I know we're all and we're kind of in the moment here, touting these guys as being something really, really special, and they have had tremendously special college careers, and had some given us all some really great moments. But college football is not professional football. So, I think. I, I, and I don't know too much about these guys other than other than just watching them on TV. So um, I could, and I'm probably the first guy to tell you I'm wrong. 
but I, right now you can have to prove me wrong. Yeah, I I just have a hard time seeing Bennett being a better pro player than he is a college player. It's very hard for can, me to get to that place. Think about this, Joe Burrow came out of LSU. It's kind of the same thing except he's, you know, he's obviously bigger and all that stuff. Um, he came out after throwing for 6,000 yards with a really good team, but they played seven top ten teams in the country his playing senior the SEC year. Conference, playing huh? in the SEC, seven top ten opponents, and they beat them all. Right. And he was a re- and his ability to stand there and make the throws, yeah, it was different. As his career was well, different. You can argue that Bennett and Young both played in that same conference and played a lot of top end teams too. So I get it. Um I just – these slight-frame guys that can do it in college, I, I just worry about them holding up on a 17-game schedule in the NFL. And to me, in an ideal world, I see Stetson Bennett probably as a backup in this league that can maybe help you through. He, he, he reminds me of like a Gardner Minshew type. You know what I mean? Like, yes. And Gardner so. Minshew was a six-round draft choice. Like a Colt McCoy. Um, yeah. You know, one of those guys. I, think about – Matt Milano's hit on Mike White, who's big. Yeah, he's tall. And think about him hitting somebody that weighs 20 pounds, yeah. 25 pounds Stetson less. Bennett might have landed in the end zone on that hit. He wouldn't have gotten up. Yeah. You got to th- – I don't know. I mean, I, we're transposing all this. But unless the guy's so sharp that he never, ever has anybody get a free shot on him, somebody's going to get a free shot on him. Yeah. And it's and it's hard to – and it hurts, man. I mean – it's, uh, you know, ask Tua. He knows. And all these guys, they all know. Josh, right. too. Yeah, it's – So, I'm – it's – nobody can predict the future. Nobody can predict how good anybody can can be. But there's been one quarterback who came out of college ever who was six one or less and couldn't run a 4.5-second 40 who was successful. Only one, and it was Drew Brees. Yeah. Only one. In all of football history, he's the only guy that was six one or less, and couldn't run fast. Who has, who's been it? Um, so unless one of these guys like Stetson Bennett and or Bryce Young or Stroud can run a, that fast, the, the the statistics say it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Let's go to the tweet sheet where we've been asking you what aspect of the Bills do you believe needs a little fine tuning for the playoffs. Tweet sheet, as always, brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Vinny leads us off and says, secondary. Coaching needs to have them play more man and less off coverage. Also, the offensive line needs to block better for Allen. We saw some man coverage calls by Leslie Frazier last week. Kyrie Elam was in a bunch of them when he was in the, on the field as he and Dane Jackson continued to platoon at the cornerback spot opposite Tredavious White. It's going to be very interesting to see if Christian Benford is worked back into that rotation at all. Um, uh, Because when he was healthy at the beginning of the season, he was rotating in. uh, He actually started, now that I think about it, because Tredavious White wasn't back yet. He started opposite Dane Jackson week one. Right. And then Kair got on the field and rotated in. But it'll be interesting to see where he fits in that puzzle, assuming he's, you know, now that he's had a week of practice, this will be a second week of practice. 
So does he factor in after being inactive last week? That That's one that I'll be keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah. The more the merrier back there. You know, you need guys who can really yeah, go. Depth, yeah. And Benford, let's face it, Benford was starting corner on, on the field week one and had a couple of injuries. Had the uh, hand injury and he had the oblique injury. So it's been a rough year for him, but that's the guy who earned the spot. So I know that Kyrie Elam has made some strides and even self-admittedly said, now now I'm at a point now where I can just kind of play. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a really interesting secondary to watch and see how it transforms now with Tredavious in the mix along with Benford and Elam and Dane Jackson and, Ty and Taron Johnson. Offensive line needs to block better for Allen, says Vinny. I mean, I... You can always improve your protection. I get it. Um, Jalen Phillips will be a handful. Melvin Ingram is a guy that gives Deion Dawkins fits sometimes. So those two guys are points of emphasis in pass pro, obviously. Bradley Chubb, if he's motivated, could be a problem. So too could Christian Wilkins on the inside. So there will be guys to contend with this week against the Dolphins for sure. I will say... The offensive line has done a good job of clearing holes in the run game. Last week was the first time all season that they did not run for 100 yards. They had been the only team that had 100 yards rushing or more in every game this season up until last <clears throat> Sunday, were, and part of it was because they didn't run it as much. Well, here's the thing. Think, yeah, they didn't run as much. Plus, they had two long plays for touchdowns where they yeah, weren't going to run lost anymore. Two possessions. And then they lost two possessions because they had two long TD returns in the kickoff. So – they ran out of opportunities to hand it off. Yeah. Otherwise, they were certainly were going to get 100 yards in that game. So um, they're still a formidable team to defend the run against, mostly because of Josh. And people discount that. And I'll say it again. I've been harping on this for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> they still got to defend it if Josh is running the ball. Right. They still got to step up and have a plan for it because he can hand it off or keep it himself. And whether you discount – that their running game as a total because of that, you can if you want, but you're not the one defending it. The, the Dolphins have to. Jerry on the tweet sheet says, D-line, specifically defending the run. If they can't get to the quarterback and stop the run, they may be one and done. Um, that might be a little extreme, Jerry, but I understand well, no, where that's, you're coming from. That's I true. Mean, if they can't do it, they would, but they, they haven't fallen on their face yet this year. I mean, it's not yeah. like – The concern, obviously, is that Miami ran for 188. The last time they played him. Now, and Buffalo lost. Buffalo still won the game, but you have to believe that the Bills are going to be preparing for a similar approach, at least in some way, shape, or form, with the run game for Miami. Now, if Raheem Mostert is out of the equation, I'm not saying it makes it easier, but it does make it different. Jerry Wilson, I'm gonna, I got to look this up because for some reason, I, I believe he was injured the last time the Bills played them and he didn't play. I think he had a hip injury and was inactive for the December 18th game. So now it looks like they're going to have Wilson, but they may not have Mostert. And, and Wilson's an athlete, too. Taller, longer guy, uh, big-time strider. You get him in the open field, he's tough to keep up with. Uh, so, yeah, they'll, they'll have to shore up the run game, uh, the run front, sure. Uh, I'm not debating that for a second. But not getting to the quarterback and not stopping the run, we've rarely seen this Bills defense be deficient in both at the same time in the same game. That's the only right. reason why I felt it was a little bit of a stretch. Uh, from TJA, people saying defense in the comments, but they've been really solid all season. So for me, 
If special teams turns up again, it's about limiting the turnovers on offense. Allen will need to just be a bit more savvy with his throws over the middle, and he will definitely be using his legs. And that's a wise approach, especially if Miami's going to decide to play some man coverage. Everybody's back is turned. You don't have anybody open, and you can get past the line of scrimmage. See you later. Josh could have a big day on the ground, which he has had before against Miami. You know, he's had 95, 101 yards rushing earlier in his career against Miami, and I don't think he would hesitate for a second to do that if the opportunity presents itself. And I've forgotten, too, Armando Salguero brought it up. Remember, this is – I forgot. This was the play that Josh – it was a catas- catastrophe. Josh ran the clock oh, out of half. Oh, end of the half. At the end of the half. Oh, no, we're not going to get any points. Oh, it's a touchdown. Yeah. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, because the rule of thumb is – throw it away so you can at least kick a field goal. And he's just like, well, how about I throw it in the end zone and score a touchdown instead? With zeros on the clock. Um, there were zeros on the clock for about two seconds before he threw <laughs> it, wasn't even, the ball. it wasn't even close. It was going to be catastrophic. But he did it. Uh, that's the way it goes. So you live with that a little bit with Josh. We've, we've learned to do that. But this is a game, too, that it's going to be different than the first two games. Maybe we don't know exactly how it's going to be different, except that Mostert's not going to be in there. He ran, he ran for a bunch against him the last time in week 15 up here. He's probably not going to go with a busted thumb. And the secondary of the Bills looks like, you know, they're going to get Benford back maybe. And, you know, they're going to have Jaquan in there as well at safety. Dean Marlowe. Or Dean Marlowe probably. Um, So their secondary is still a little bit in flux, but the Bills front six and seven should be intact. And they're going to have a better plan than they did four weeks ago for stopping the run. We'll see if they can get it done. I, this is it. It'll be interesting to see how uh, how they come out, not only on that side of the ball, but also offensively. Yeah, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet before we wrap it up for a Tuesday edition of One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Hey there, Bills fans. Connect Life needs your help. During the month of January, every blood donor during this month will receive a pair of Bills branded socks. Connect Life is the only blood donation agency that keeps your donation here for patients in western New York. To make your appointment, please go to connectlife.org today. Steve, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet here. And we've got Dean saying utilization of the middle of the field. Now that John Brown is back, how about getting him and Gabe Davis back to running the mid and deep crossing routes that were so successful a few years ago? Most of all, how about some more quick slants? I swear they are good for five-plus yards every time. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the diversification of the receiving core looks like You know, now that you have unlimited elevations of John Brown and Cole Beasley. You could elevate them both if you wanted to. It's a maximum of two players off the practice squad each week. So if you did that, you'd have six receivers active on Sunday. And you and I were talking during the break. One of the things that the Bills had that worked very well against the Dolphins in previous years was when they spread the field and made that secondary put more people on the field. Like Noah Igbenogany, right. guy's a first-round bust for Miami. He can't even get on the field. So you know what? Put him on the field. Get him on the field somehow. Yeah, I get it. And you're right. It'll be a match. It's always a matchup game. And, and we learned that from Brian Dable. And Ken Dorsey has, has in, 
has jumped on board with that as well. And we have seen everybody from like Cole Beasley, John Brown, Shakir, Khalil Shakir, uh, Mackenzie Davis Diggs. All of those guys have contributed. And now he got, for the first time ever last week, James Cook out snapped Devin Singletary. Now, yeah. some of that was because Devin coughed it up. And yeah, in, when in you do that, hand. you get you sat down. So maybe that's the reason. But nevertheless, all of these guys are game ready now. Cole Beasley's got out there. He's gotten some reps. He's got his feet wet again. He's got to feel comfortable. Same thing with John Brown. All of these guys are at the ready. And how this roster is made up on game day is really going to be interesting to see who the inactives are, who the wide, what the wide receiver core is going to look like may tip you off as to what their plan is offensively throughout the game. From Butch, he says, just let the band play. Diggs and Beasley in the slot and Brown and Davis on the outside, then allow running back James Cook to Cook in the backfield. What do you think about Diggs and Beasley in the slot, Brown and Davis outside? Well, that's four guys. That's four yeah. wides on the field with James Cook. I mean, it's great I unless like they, Diggs unless the they send six guys after you. Then you got some problems. you got to get rid of the ball quick. You don't want Josh back there with six rushers against five protectors. So you got to do that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm going to the Sabres game tonight. I'm, awesome. This is all great. Steve, how fast, quickly, do you think Naheem Hines, what was his top speed on the return? 21.5. 21.25 oh. miles per hour. You're right there. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.